Welcome to The Naked Truth. Uh, as always, if you're expecting nudity, you can go to my website. It's on tgirl.com. You can click on the pictures there. They're uh, actually videos. I update them every week. Uh, they'll appear differently depending on whether you're on a laptop, PC, or your mobile device. If you're on any of them, click on the blue charms that say mobile movies, and the pictures of the movie, the videos will start playing for you immediately. Uh, if you are on your PC or your uh, laptop or something, though, make sure you enable the Adobe plugins. Uh, it's free to do that. And the videos will automatically start playing for you as soon as you go to each page. And you'll actually get more videos that way. You can um, check out me and my friends there, make a, get a subscription, make a donation, or just check out the free stuff. All of the above are very much appreciated. Thank you. So um, you can get an idea of uh, what we do here on the Naked Truth. If you click on the Naked Truth pages there uh, on hometgirl.com or the uh, Living Water Chapel pages there, you can get an idea of what we do here. And that's go over the spiritual side that I believe exists in all of us. Whether you believe it does or not, whether you ignore it or, you know, encourage it, nourish it, or deny it, it's there. At least I believe it is. So um, we go over the Gospels of Jesus Christ, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, focusing on the red letters, because those are the quotes attributed to Jesus, and they're actually quite rare. In the whole book of the Bible, 66 books, only a tenth a tithe, if you will, have quotes that are attributed to Jesus. Only six books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts, and Revelation. So those are the ones we focus on because it's called Christianity. So shouldn't Jesus Christ get the last word? So anyway, that's what, we're, what we do here. And we're going to pick up where we left off. If you like, you can grab your Bible. Um, I see that in case you don't get the platform switched again, we're on Zoom now. God bless them because there were shenanigans with the last platform. Um, so God knows where, God only knows where it'll be when it's time to do the next reading. But here's where we are now. We're gonna pick up where we left off in John, in the book of John. Um, we made it to chapter 13. Before we go on, we're gonna read, um, we're gonna just review the passage that stood out to me in chapter 12. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's um, verse 47. And that's when Jesus tells them, if anyone, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to, the, to judge the world, but to save the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So that lets us know there that Jesus didn't come at, to pass out condemnations when he was here uh, on the earth. It was to save the world, and that that's, should be the message of Christianity, not um, hellfire and damnation for people to draw people in, to invite, not um, barbecue them. So anyway, we're going to pick up um, in John chapter 13 now. Um Verse 1, if you want, you can read along with me or just listen. Either way, be blessed. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
and supper being ended, devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. So just so you know here, all of this is not red letter. This is the person passing on the story to us. It's not quotes of Jesus. This is, um, so we understand what's setting the scene. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So you get an idea of what's going on here. Jesus is taking off his clothes, robe, whatever it is, tunic, whatever he had on, he took it off and he's wrapping himself on the bottom with a towel or wherever he's wrapped himself around his body with a towel and he's going down and humbling himself, basically washing the disciples' feet with the towel that he's using as clothing. Um, I think this is a way of um, humbling himself even more because that's the only thing, uh, even it's, it's putting it on, the, it's on the same level or similar level as the woman who washed his feet with her hair. Jesus is washing their feet, not just one, but all of their feet with the very clothes on his back, not even on his back, but the only thing covering up his nakedness. So it's like an even more humble um, expression, but um, along that same vein. Um, so this is where we're at. Jesus is washing their feet. Um, after that, he poured water. Um, okay, then he came to Simon Peter. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you'll know after this. So Jesus is letting us know there's a bigger picture idea to what he's doing here. And it has, it's about more than just washing their feet. And I think it's a pun, a play on words that Jesus is letting us know the poet side of Jesus and of the divine. But we'll see. Peter said to him, you shall never wash, and he says, his feet. I'm not going to say that, because if it comes to it, obviously, I'm a Christian. I'd like Jesus to wash my feet. And I think, in the sense, what he means it as not our physical feet, but, you know, however. Uh, but Peter, so Peter's saying, no, no, I'm not going to let you do it, because you're greater than I am. I guess trying to be pious and let him know, I know you're greater than I am. You don't deserve to be washing my feet. If anything, I should be washing yours. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That's what lets us know it's a bigger picture idea than just him actually washing the feet. It's him letting, it's Jesus letting us know that if he doesn't wash us, if he doesn't cleanse our souls, because that's what the bottom of your feet are called, souls. And I think that's the play on words, the poetry of it, that if he doesn't wash our souls, then we're not going to have any part in the kingdom. We're not going to be part of his flock. Um, and he's showing that by using the soles of our feet and cleaning them to show that it's up to us to let him cleanse our souls, our spiritual souls. Simon and Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So now he's like, wash my whole body, get me clean. Because he's like, he definitely doesn't want to be left out and doesn't want to be left out of this of the part where he says, you will have no part with, of me, with me. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So he's letting him, letting him know. And this, um, so um, he's saying, you're clean, but not all of you. Go ahead and let me wash you. And 
And the next part sort of it can be taken different ways. We'll see how the, because it's not red letters, so it's how the person who's passing down the story is letting us know they understand it. But uh, we see objectively what uh, it says happened was um, Jesus said, you're clean, but not all of you. So he's presumably, it says, Jesus said to him, he's saying this to Peter, that he's clean, but not all of them. So he needs to wash his feet, needs to cleanse his soul, needs to repent. Remember, that was the whole lesson of the Tower and Siloam and all of that. Um, so, and then the, the uh, narrator or whoever it is is passing down a story here, maybe even John himself, says for he knew who would betray him therefore he said you're not all clean so john seems to be taking this to me when he said you're not all clean to be saying he's pointing to the betrayer judas perhaps maybe he did but he might also have been saying he knew peter was going to betray him which he is going to tell him because peter also is going to betray him judas isn't the only one so when he had washed their feet taken his garments and sat down again he said to them do you know what i've done to you so now Jesus has gone through, washed the disciples' feet, put the towel away, put his clothes back on. And he's asking him, you know what's up with this? Why I did this? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. So Jesus is letting him know, you recognize that I'm the one here brought to bring you the message and that I'm above you as your Lord and teacher. Saying that's what Jesus said to them. By then, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet excuse me i think jesus is saying here and i think this gets twisted by religions to mean that um priests preachers whatever it is should be the ones passing out the cleansing of washing the souls and relieving absolving people of sins i don't think that's what jesus is saying at all i think what jesus is saying here that similarly when when um we sin against each other not just against god because there's different sins there's sins against each other there's sins against god when we sin against each other that we should provide that uh not oh i'm gonna forgive you of your sins but just forgiveness be ready to forgive forgive each other and ourselves not just forgive each other the things they do to us but be willing to forgive ourselves and wash that away don't hold on to things like that and leave it in, leave it with the lord if i then your lord and teacher oh for i've given you an example that you should do as i've done to you so jesus is saying he's setting an example for us humble ourselves don't be so haughty that um we walk around holding on to that sin holding on to that dirty soul those um the dirt that's clinging to the souls don't hold on to that don't do that but um if i then your lord and teacher posture be you also i'd always try to example most assuredly i say to you i uh a servant is not greater than his master nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him so jesus is saying don't be so full of yourself that you can't humble yourself like he humbles himself. He humbled himself, stripping himself down to his, uh, nothing but a towel. And then used that the last bit of strip, uh, stitch of clothing that he had for someone else, to help someone else, to cleanse someone else, to wash someone else, to show someone else that's what they need to be doing. That's the example they need to be setting. And he's saying that's the same thing we should be doing. Be willing to let go of everything it is that we have, put it aside, 
doesn't mean you have to give it away or let it or uh, toss it aside or waste it because you know he took put it back on again just like he put on his divinity again after he humbled himself to even be tortured and killed he put on his divinity again as christians we believe this um and took his place on high um, so similarly we should be willing to humble ourselves if we really believe that we're christians and here to help each other's souls help each other be cleansed of that sin, that dirt that's uh, clean to our souls and wash it away. And definitely don't hold on to it for each other or for ourselves. Wash it and let it go. And that actually reminds me of something that I realized myself, because I've dealt with from years now, the grief and regrets and um, remorse I have for losing my mother and not doing more and the wishing I could have done more and could have saved her and should have had more faith and all of that is someone who believes that those things are real, that you can have faith and they can have real uh, results. And I've carried that around for all this time, but I realized something today and I don't even remember what it was I heard or saw that brought it to me that uh, as Jesus has said in different preachings where in that it seems like, and scientists have confirmed or at least they suspect that or theorize that there are, multi, there are multiple existences throughout the universe and parallel existences and pluralities that exist, meaning that we're here and now, wherever you are here and now, but I'm also here where I am now, but I'm also for you one or two who see this there with you here and now. That's once in one sense of how you can be in multiple places at once. So it's not inconceivable that you can also have an existence somewhere else throughout the universe at the same time. I think that that's where, that's what's helping me get through, even today help with grief and stuff, just on a side note to realize that maybe in one of those other existences, I was able to do more and my faith did pay off the little faith apparently that I did have. And that a different path was taken where uh, my mother was spared and did live and how that whole existence has ex has turned out and everything and whether it exists or not whether it's happened or not i don't know but um like i said jesus alludes to it scientists believe it's a theory of possibilities so that's two witnesses that make it at least possible if i were playing cards i'd bet on it so anyway that's um just a side note she's saying if you know these things blessed are you if you do them so he's saying if you realize that you're not so high and haughty and that Jesus, the Almighty, and if we believe in the Son of the Almighty, or at least the Almighty in the flesh, uh, took a, a, lowest, a lower spot to even wash people's feet and die for us, then it should be a snap for us to be able to humble ourselves in any situation in life and consider where our brother is coming from. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I've chosen but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. So Jesus here is letting the disciples know, I know your hearts, I know your minds, I know what's happening in the whole timeline of things. And he's letting them know, I know you're gonna betray me. And he's saying, even though you're sitting here eating with me and you're gonna stab me in the back. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I'm he. So he's letting them know, and I'm only predicting this to you not to make you feel bad or to call you out, but so that it will strengthen your faith. It's again, it's all about strengthening your faith, helping you believe. And even the disciples clearly still had trouble believing in the things he was saying and the prophecies he, were, he was making even down to the crucifixion. 
down to the denials, down to the betrayals. They're not believing it, even though they're walking with him and witnessing it. So don't let your faith feel, feel bad about your faith when you have your doubts. Even they walk with them and still had doubts because he's telling them very clear here that he's saying these things, he's doing these things so that when the prophecy that he gives them happen, they will know and believe that, oh, you know, he did tell us that. So it must be true or he must be true. There is some truth. Most assuredly, I say to you, he receives whomever I send receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. So Jesus is saying he's the key that having uh, his, his message, um, the gospel, he's saying in, that's, how, um, that's how people will receive him in receiving the people who he sends out. In this case, it's the disciples. Uh, and nowadays it's anyone who believes and carries the message forward. Because he says here, whomever he sends, excuse me, When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So now Jesus, it lets us know, even God himself, knowing the big picture of the whole timeline of how everything's going to play out, even knowing that, still gets stressed out, anxious, and even upset. He says here, by narrative, troubled. Um, and he recognizes that one of those people eating with him is going to stab him in the back. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. So a couple of things here. Um, the disciples are all like, it wasn't me, and I'm not going to do it. And they are all like, they don't know who would do such a thing. None of them could possibly conceive that they would be the one to stab him in the back. So and then that's one thing to notice. And then the other thing to notice is that how preachers will um, will read over it because it might make you uncomfortable to think that men would be like this, but it says right there, leaning on Jesus' bosom. So that lets you know they were very close. One was even leaning on his chest. So maybe they're all reclined and just chilling. I don't know, but it shouldn't upset you that if, there, if things like that happen, why should that bother you? And why should you change it to say something else? Preachers will do that and say, oh, it just means he was close by. It doesn't say that. It says he was leaning on Jesus' breast. In fact, it doesn't say it once. It goes and says it again. It says it again. Um, Simon Peter therefore motioned him to ask him of who, to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? So that lets you know. He leaned back. He was off of it. Now he's leaned back onto Jesus. It doesn't say he's abreast or near him or in his ear. It said leaning on his breast twice. It is what it is. Just because the morals of today or mores of today say that men can't do this or shouldn't do that or aren't allowed to be this way or that way, doesn't mean it's always been like that. And doesn't mean it will always be like that. And so at this point, that's where it's at. He leaned back on Jesus' breast, asking Jesus, who is it? Jesus answered. And by the way, this is believed to be John, the one who um, this gospel's credited to. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So in this case, the betrayal, the betrayer, the one who's going to carry out the betrayal is uh, Judas Iscariot, identified as Judas Iscariot by Jesus himself. 
and the passing of the bread that he dipped. Now, after the piece of bread, and again, that doesn't mean he's the only one who's going to betray him. That's just the one he's talking about in this instance. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. So now here, the narrator, the person passing, it's not in red letters, what I'm saying, says that Satan entered him. So maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. It doesn't, Jesus didn't say it. But the person here is giving Satan the credit with being the one behind Judas's betrayal. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Jesus didn't say it. But Jesus does say what you do, do quickly. So um, Jesus already knows that whether it's Judas cooking this up in his heart or whether it's Satan sent to stir Jesus, uh, Judas up to do it, whoever it is, Jesus is speaking to that person saying, do what you got to do. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him for some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. So you can imagine that Judas is on his way to go uh, confer with the, the religious folks to go ahead and put the knife in Jesus' back and twist it. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. So Jesus is telling them, sort of like the countdown begins. Judas the betrayer is on his way to go do what he has to do um, by betraying him. And in, and in that way, that's what's all going to work toward the glory of God, um, meaning the crucifixion. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. So Jesus is saying it's all going to happen fast, that um, it's all going to be for the glory of God, the whole crucifixion, the humiliation, all of that, the suffering, but it'll all be for the um, glory of God in the sense of the resurrection and drawing all people, or at least those who will, to him. Little children, I should be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So Jesus is saying here a very interesting thing. He's telling them that uh, just a little while longer, and then meaning the crucifixion, and then he's going to be gone. Um, maybe. Excuse me. Um, he's saying, he could also be saying, because he's saying they're going to seek him and he told them where he's going, they can't come. So it kind of sounds like he means the hereafter, heaven, uh, the kingdom of God, however you want to phrase it. It seems like that could be what he's talking about. But since the crucifixion hasn't even happened yet, it seems that he's not talking about heaven and the divine. Because he'd be jumping over the part where he tells them uh, that he's going to die and uh, be raised again. So it seems to me he'd have to be talking about, um, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. I have to think about that one. A new commandment I give to you, uh, little children, I should be with you a little while longer. You'll seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So he, And he did say that to them before when they came to, came to him and were going to arrest him. And he said a little while longer, I'll be with you. Um, so I guess he would have to be saying somewhere in that's uh, not here and now, somewhere in the hereafter, whether it's hell, Hades, uh, death, heaven, paradise, it's not clear. 
Um, but he's saying wherever it is that he's going, they cannot come. Um, and he doesn't say now. He says they cannot come, at meaning they won't have access to it. So it could mean that he's destroying that place. In being crucified, he's destroying that whole process of people dying, even though he said Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are making it. So uh, maybe this was the culmination of that whole era of the Old Testament era and people living by that and hoping in that and believing in that and the people who um, like the Abraham, the Isaac, and the Jacob, because he says they're going to make it. So maybe this was the, the point where all of that was to happen, the first being last and last being first. Maybe that's what it was. So then at that point, not at the second coming, but at that point of Jesus coming that first time, that sort of began the clock of judgments from then and the people prior to then. And then the second coming will sort of act as uh, whoever's here, that's that moment. And in the meantime, maybe each of us meets our maker in the meantime. I don't know. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. So Jesus is saying this is the new commandment. And straight from Jesus, his lips himself, who brought us the message from God, the commandment is to love. Love each other, to love one another. Just like Jesus was willing to love and give his life, he's going to be saying, love one another that way. That's the kind of love we have for each other. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's saying that's going to be the sign of, the Christi of Christianity. Not walking around saying, hey, I'm a Christian. Not even the cross you might wear or the Christmas tree you may put up in your window. None of that. It's, um, it's letting your light shine, basically. That's going to um, show people without you having to say it that you are a Christian. Uh, that love that you show for each other. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. So now Peter's thinking, you talk like you're getting ready to go somewhere. So he's like, where are you going? And Jesus is saying, you can't follow me now. But he says, now here, he told the other ones they can't follow him and then just went on. See, where I'm going, you cannot come in uh, verse 33. But now he's telling Peter the same thing, but he says, now. I'm going, you cannot follow me now. So that lets him know wherever it is that he's going, he can't follow him now. So now this sort of points to him going to um, not destroying the whole system of um, people passing away and waiting in some sort of uh, limbo or something like that. Um, because he's telling Peter he is going to follow him, just not now, but you shall follow me afterward. So it would have to be, there be this waiting place limbo type thing, or it'd have to be, um, like Jesus said in Luke 16, it's, um, it's um, on to uh, Abraham's bosom. That's where it'd have to be, Abraham's bosom, as it's described, what we think of as heaven, but it's not really called paradise either. It's called paradise when Jesus passes away on the cross, where Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, so maybe it's paradise that Jesus is saying, but that's where he's going, and um, that Peter will follow later. That seems like that would fit. That would have to be it. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my 
He says he's going to lay down his life for your sake. Peter's saying he's willing to die for Jesus, basically. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, say to you the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. So Jesus is like, yeah, you, you talk a good game. And, um, but the reality is before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Um, so that's actually another betrayal. He's already showed that Judas, he's told one of the disciples that Judas is going to betray him when he gave him the bread that he did. Now he's telling uh, Peter straight up, you're going to betray me too. Uh, well, not too, but he's letting Peter know he's going to betray him and deny him. That's a betrayal also. You can imagine if you were married to someone or even your friend or your family and you're all someplace and suddenly they act like they don't know you. That's a betrayal. Um, and that's actually the end of this reading as well. I hope it was a blessing for you, and I hope that um, you will um, join me again. God willing, we'll um, have our uh, Matt and Mark Mondays where we go over those Gospels, and we have our Saturday nights where we go over whatever's next there now that we finish Revelation. And, of course, today, John Luke Wednesdays. So I hope it was a blessing for you and hope you'll join me again. In the meantime, take care of yourself, wash your hands, wear your mask, love your neighbor, and um, thanks again. God bless you. Peace.